Hello and welcome to the Sky Time Podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the podcast that promotes Sky and profiles the people that drive the island's economy. It's also a celebration of Sky's vibrant history, culture and environment and aims to gently persuade visitors to spend more time, get off the beaten track and experience more of what our island has to offer. This week I've come to Waternish to visit one of Sky's top visitor attractions, Sky Skins. The business has been sourcing local sheep fleeces and turning them into a range of luxury goods since 1983. The business was founded by Clive and Lydia Hartwell, but has now been passed to the next generation of the Hartwell family. Jess Hartwell, welcome to the Sky Time podcast. This is the first time I've recorded in a yurt. It's quite a unique experience. Firstly, talk me through how the business started. Well, it's a funny story. <laughs> Back in the 80s, my mum and dad were running a small flock of black-faced sheep here on the Croft. And in those days, crofting diversification projects were being encouraged. So they'd also learned at that time that any, through their crofting enterprises, that skins from the local abattoir, in fact, all the skins from the local abattoir, were just being sent to landfill at that point. So they thought they had a better idea. <laughs> so they, yeah, they were very interested in being able to make use of all the parts of the animal if it was being sent for for meat and making something beautiful and durable out of what was otherwise a byproduct was basically a motivation right from from the outset and did they know anything about tanning at that stage um a little bit not not a huge amount so um, my father had a friend whose family were in the saddle leather business and he encouraged my dad to go very sensibly to go down to uh, Neen College it was in those days in Northampton it's Northampton University now to learn more about the science of tanning so he did that um, along with John McLeod who was our first tanner so. and it's very much a, a, a sort of social enterprise idea behind it because it was all about creating employment locally wasn't it yes a lot of that was um, you know the the interest in in doing it and setting up a business out here was was about bringing you know employment and that's grown sort of over the years into we developed opportunities with year-round employment um, and that's still a big driver for us today so talk me through the process of establishing the the tannery and and then getting the other crofters on board i guess as well to, to provide you with the raw materials so at the outset they were lucky to receive mom and dad were lucky to receive support from hidb they were the precursor to hie um with the startup costs my dad had to go and source the machinery which was uh an interesting one because they he went just back down to northampton where there was you know it's quite a center for tanning there so he found some fairly old-fashioned machinery that would work for the process he'd envisaged and brought it back up here and the actual original footprint of the building was sort of almost retro designed round the the, the the space that the different machines would occupy in there so um, that was the sort of setting up of the physical premises they obviously had to work out how to encourage people to visit a business out here in Waternish because firstly we're a long way north on the island so in those days it was you know the ferry so people coming this far north but then also bringing people off the main trunk road from Portree to Dunvegan we're still a few miles along that so it was all a bit of a leap of faith really and I think yeah lots of people thought they were utterly crazy <laughs> to do it but um, here we are still 37 years later so and yeah they sourced skins from you know the local abattoir they also went out to 
Loch Maddy, to where there was an abattoir then to, to get skins from there also. You talked about getting people to come off the, the, the main trunk road. Mm. How much of a driver was the visitor centre in encouraging sales? Yeah, it was important. I mean, always at the outset when we sort of advertised ourselves more as just a shop, I suppose, um, people would still be interested in the backstory and the process and the people who worked here at the outset would be happy to to show people around and, and explain that story to them. And I suppose the sort of more honed version of the experience was developed over the last 20 years or so. And it is important to the overall business now obviously more people that take the tour are inclined to make a purchase at the end of their visit um, but also it's more more about passing on that sort of educational experience but we're trying to preserve the skills and the knowledge here um, that otherwise would be lost because a large chunk of British tanning has moved overseas there's not not a huge amount of well, certainly almost no sheepskin tanning happening now uh, certainly commercially in the UK so preserving those skills and that knowledge and educating people on it on that story was a big driver in what what was happening here and how much local employment have you managed to create and retain over the years uh, well last year we were I think 23 different members of staff between the different locations and spread out over about 15 full-time equivalent roles so it was a good Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> Talk me through the uh, the products. When you first started, presumably you didn't have anything like the product range that you do now. No, that's true. Um, we had a, a sort of a small selection. But yes, over the years it's evolved to be probably the widest range of sheepskin, certainly naturally coloured sheepskin that you can find anywhere. We particularly specialise in those naturally marked fleeces. Sheepskin is a timeless material and we've changed the way that we use it so we've since been cutting pieces up to make into make into larger mosaic rugs which have been very popular with both the public and into the interior designers that we work with our in-house uh, seamstresses make a broad selection of beautiful and interesting cushions and different accessories to go alongside that we also now stock quite a range of other interesting fleeces that come from different maybe different areas around the world but also a large selection of clothing so predominantly Scottish clothing but um, both leather and woolen so yeah the, the range has, has has changed a lot and probably more as a result of our own environmental aspirations last year we moved from changed our tanning process completely so to something more sustainable we were using a mineral tanning agent before that and it was a finite and extractive resource so we moved to mimosa bark tanning which is a, a fantastic thing to use because it comes from a very sustainable source the trees are either um, stripped uh, or felled on a rotational basis and the quality of our leather has actually never been better as a result of moving over and I think also that you know the, the output from the process is biodegradable so that's also been a different kind of offering that we're able to, to give to our visitors. Well you've mentioned the process and it's something I know nothing about so um, you've arranged a, a tour for me and uh, I'll come back and speak to you a bit later about some other aspects of the business. Lovely, enjoy. Okay I've come into the processing plant if you like uh, and I'm here with David one of the Skyskins guide. David this is a really nice open airy environment so it's it's an ideal visitor centre for all the restrictions we're operating within. Well we're lucky to have two big doors so we can let a lot of air in we can get a lot of air through and uh, yeah we've got the perspex as well to keep visitors safe so yeah it's a nice safe environment for them and plenty of room in the shop upstairs as well for them to to peruse the goods. So David, how long have you been guiding here? I've been here for seven years now. Uh, 
moved up from Shropshire and two weeks before we moved I saw this job advertised and ended up on the island and ended up here. And did you know anything about tanning before you started here? Uh, the expression that I tend to use is I've spent all of my life flogging a dead horse so now I sell dead sheep. <laughs> it's, it's along the same lines. So let's start the tour. What do visitors experience first? Or what's the first question that they ask you, first of all? Normally, it's, uh, it's so what do you do here? That's normally the first thing. Well, you know, we are a sheepskin tannery, so we make leather. Uh, that's the purpose of a tannery. And we'll take people around the process. Uh, the first thing we'll normally do is give them a sheepskin and say, just stroke that, because it is a very tactile product. It's the sort of thing that people need to stroke and feel to get the benefit of because every single sheepskin is different they all feel different every sheep grazes on different grass it's as they say we are what we eat which makes me 50 percent biscuit <laughs> so what's the first part of the process of creating one of these so beautiful skins the first thing we would do uh we would go and collect the skins from the nearest abattoir our abattoir is dingwall so we'll drive over there buy three or four hundred skins cover them with salt and once they've got salt on the skins you can keep them for up to eight months so they have a good shelf life and then we'll bring down Oh, pre-COVID it was 50 skins a week, post-COVID no, 20 skins a week. But we'll drop them first into the big bath. You can have a look and see what's going on. So there's a batch in here at the moment, uh, soaking in, uh, in the water. Uh, this is actually a pickle stage, but we'll give them three washes in here. The first wash being a plain water wash, second wash a soapy wash, and then a hot soapy wash, which will clean the wool and the skin but it'll also loosen the fat off on the back of the skin and make it easier to scrape the fat off we call that fleshing and that's a part that we can demonstrate to people whether they're on the mats or you know it's just actually in here it's uh, we use the beam which is same size and shape as a centurion shield so get the roman element into there as well we'll drop the skin over the top you use the fleshing knife you lean over the top and you scrape the fat off the back it's good hard work but Doing it by hand, you always leave the skin a lot thicker, so the leather is always a lot stronger on our skins. And then once we flesh them, then they'll go back into the bath, and that's where these ones are at now. And how long do they stay in there? Uh, they'll stay in this pickle. They can stay in there for up to a week quite comfortably, uh, but we normally keep them in for about three days. It's a little longer now because the tanners are furloughed, so at least there are various stages in this process. We, we can keep skins and stop them from decaying any further so they're actually in 50 kilos of salt in there there's a lot of salt that we use and there's a little bit of acid which will lower the ph the acidity and then we transfer the skins into the tanning bath which is where we make the leather uh, in the tanning bath we soak the skins for two days as they soak it draws the liquid into the back of the skin that enlarges the proteins bonds them together and it's the bonding of the proteins that turns them from skin into leather so we make leather in two days. Now, for the last 37 years, we used a, a mineral-based tan. About 18 months ago, we swapped over to mimosa, tree bark tanning. So we can class it as vegetable tanning. We can use words like eco-friendly, biodegradable, green. It's, it's a lot better. And how did you find that process? Well, the process was found by our tanners. Uh, they're the ones that work this out. I just have to sell it. My, my job's a lot easier. I have to explain it to people. It's a more proactive way of making leather. Uh, the tanners have to do a bit more work in, with this, uh, making the, the mixture correct for the amount of skins going in. And is there a difference in the skins now you're doing at this new week? Uh, there's a difference in the colouring and there's a difference in the smell, but the leather itself is still pretty much consistent to how it was. It's always been a very good, strong leather, a very good, firm leather to work with. 
Okay, so on to the next stage of the process. So when they come out of the, uh, the tanning bath, the leather's really soft, a bit like a wet chamois leather. And if we could dry them naturally at that stage, then they'd stay soft. But leaving them outside for three or four days on sky is not the brightest idea. So uh, we have a drying room that we put them in. Now the drying room is this direction. The heaters are on in there, so it'll be a little bit noisy, but you can see in. In here we coat them with oil to stop them from cracking in the heat. We stretch them out on the racks with the little hooks, which are called tenter hooks. That's where the expression comes from. Ah, yeah. That's not just a pretty face, you get facts <laughs> as well. Um, and they'll stay in here for three days drying, but three days in the heat and they go like cardboard, they go stiff and hard, so we have to then soften them back up. Now in the old days they'd just take them outside and batter them with sticks. Or if we had any Eskimos on the island, they could give them to the wives to chew, but we don't. So uh, we stick them into a tumbler, and we tumble them usually for three nights. Uh, the tumbler is probably the oldest piece of equipment in here. It's about 120 years old. Uh, originally had a water wheel on the side to bear it round, but it's got three rubber bands and a little motor now. But three nights of tumbling. And when they come out of there, then we start to make them look pretty. So we use the machinery down this side. So the first machine we use is the buffing wheel, which is 60 kilos of granite from Elsa Craig in Ayrshire. It's the same place the curling stones come from. And this, this is a failed curling stone. It used to be pedal powered, but they've taken pity on us now and put a motor on it. It's a lot easier. But we use that to polish the back of the skins. But there's certainly nothing in this room that is high-tech or looks high-tech in any way, shape or form. It's no, very it's, much a traditional process. It is very traditional. It's, it's the way it's been done for many, many years. Things haven't changed a lot here. And once we've polished the back of the skins, then we work on the wall. And so we use the combing table to do that. This is a giant rotary comb. Stiff steel bristles on here. And we'll feed the skin through here, usually in four different directions. Uh, that'll get rid of the worst of the knots. And then we'll polish, we'll uh, brush them by hand. Uh, we'll use a dog or cat brush on them. I'd like to say it was a sheep comb, but it is a dog or cat brush. And we'll brush it, and that'll get rid of any loose twigs or thistles that are left in there. And because these sheep wander down on the beaches here, they go through seaweed, you find fishing hooks and all sorts in there. And then once we've brushed them through, got them nice and fluffy, fluffy being a key word, and I can say fluffy in 50 different languages, but I won't do that for you now. Um, <laughs> Then the final stage is for us, uh, we'll spray some lanolin or a lanolin substitute back onto the wall, give it a bit of luster and a bit of softness. And then the very last thing, if the tanners are happy, we'll give it a stamp on the back and then we take them upstairs, put them in their little beds and offer them up for adoption. Well, let's go upstairs and have a look at the final products. Okie dokie. Oh, wow. This is an amazing space. It is. Uh, it's not a bad view from the work window. It makes coming to work a little easier. So uh, we have the skins that we produce here, the mimosa skins. We have skins that we buy in from the other tannery down in Devon because we work very closely with them because there's only two of us left in the UK now. Uh, so we have some different breeds from there. Again, because every skin feels different, they all feel either softer or silky. And you tend to find when people go through a pile of skins, they'll find something that they like. So it's a bit like Harry Potter's wand. You, you don't pick them, they pick you. Um, we've got also down here things that we make ourselves here. So we make hot water bottle covers, cushions, pillows, key rings, teddy bears even. Teddy bears out of sheepskin, which is different. And then at the very end, uh, we've got 
as well as our beautiful view over the here. Uh, of a waternish. We've got um, our mosaic rugs and they're rugs that we sew together in one foot by six inch panels or in one foot squares but we can make those to any size, any shape. We can literally have a bespoke rug to your own colours and your own size that you like. We can do that for you. And we've also got all the hats, gloves, coats, scarves, all the accessories as well up there. And what's the best seller or is that impossible to say? The best seller at the moment is our mimosa skins. People are liking the story that we're telling downstairs. They want to buy something that's from the island, buy something that's made here. So those are the best sellers at the moment. And when you've bought a skin and you take it home, uh, what do you have to do to look after it? Do they require a bit of maintenance and brushing like a dog every now and again? Yeah, uh, we normally say once a week. (laughs) Give it a 10 second brush through with a dog or cat brush. If the worst comes to the worst, if you have that red wine accident or the dog's sick on it or something, you can stick them in a washing machine and wash them like you would a lambswool jumper. Just let them dry naturally on the line on a breezy day. Don't don't dry them to heat. That's the main thing. David, thank you very much indeed for the tour. You're very welcome. Thank you. Jess, I should mention that we're in a yurt. That's the reason for the flappy sounds going around. Um, uh, What was the idea behind putting the yurt up here? Well, we wanted to expand what we were doing and what we were able to offer our visitors and give people an opportunity to stay on the site a little bit longer. We were all quite interested in coffee, so (laughs) predominantly we're a coffee shop, um, but offering a little, you know, some some lovely home baking and homemade soup as well. So, and it's been a a great little enterprise for the community as well as, as for the business. When people have made the effort to come here and have had the tour, is that a way of ensuring that people buy? That you've made this effort, they, they can't go away empty-handed. <laughs> you mean we purposely built out here in the sticks <laughs> to twist people's arms? No, I mean, I think people like to come. They will seek out uh, businesses that are out in the sticks in sort of very rural locations. If you're, you know, we've our 37 years of experience have shown us that people will get on board with uh, a business that's offering a quality experience and great service and and an interesting story so I think that's down to sort of the the brand really. (laughs) (laughs) So talk me through what are your best sellers? Well our classic range of sheepskin is probably our best sellers so um, the ones that we refer to as Hebridean browns the, the, the natural whites natural browns are probably the biggest sellers that we have there both online and in the shops um, our mosaic range is very popular we probably can't really produce those fast enough sometimes and we also sell a lot of um, larger multiples so the, the sheepskins that we sew together and to, to make larger naturally shaped pieces so they use for throws or bed covers or on the floor and then the clothing. So, yeah, I think probably those natural single-shaped sheepskins are the biggest sellers. And what's the balance between sales here at the, the tannery and online sales? Because you've got a very impressive website. Thank you. Um, yeah, the split there is probably somewhere in the region of 25% of the turnover goes through online and the rest through the two shops. And where are the online sales coming from? Is it the primarily UK or all over the world? Yeah, all over the world, actually. It's really interesting looking through the, the orders to where they get shipped off to. But yes, primarily UK, Germany and the US are, are big customers as well for us. You've opened a shop in Portree. What was the thinking behind that? Yeah, even six or seven years ago, we probably wouldn't have envisaged doing that. But, you know, the the customer 
market and the island has changed so much really in in that time that it seemed the right thing to do and so um, yeah we're looking to sort of reach people that aren't going to get further north um, than Portree by being there and being able to bring the product to to those people but also it works and acts as a signpost for the main business out here in Waternish so people go there see what we're doing have a lovely cup of coffee <laughs> sit in a sheepskin and then are, are encouraged to come over here to see the, the full experience out here. So you don't think that will discourage people from making the effort to come and, and see the process? No I think quite the contrary really we've found that so I mean anecdotally yeah a lot of people that will go there want to find out more and then come out here to to have one of our tours that you've just enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously opening a shop this year you could not possibly have envisaged what was facing you in terms of Covid. How have you coped with that? Yeah it's been a big challenge uh, like for all business and we've probably been operating on about half of our usual turnover here um, although Portree has done proportionally better than that. So We've been very lucky to have our online business that's kept us, you know, afloat through the throughout lockdown. You know, partly that decrease in, in income has been partly as a result of trying to control the capacity of the numbers coming through the business. Um, but also, you know, footfall generally to Waternish has been down in July and August. So, yeah, we've had some tough decisions really to make about how to, to get on through the winter months. And if we are faced with another lockdown or greater restrictions in terms of numbers of, of people, how, how will that affect your ongoing operation? That will be very difficult for us without further support. You know, obviously we're coming to the end of furlough now and unless there's more sort of sector-specific support available for businesses um, in the tourism industry here, then that would that would be very hard on us. Um but again, we are very lucky to have the online component of the business, and so we'd hope that that would keep us keep us going again. Once we come through this COVID crisis, what are your next plans to take the, the business forward again? Because you've always evolved. We have. Well, obviously, the next little while is about getting through the winter months and keeping our amazing team on board through that. Beyond this, we would be looking to ha- you know, ha- have a bit of a redesign of our website, actually, making that a little more streamlined than it is. It's sort of been built in sections over the years, so, so bringing that all together. We were about to have a look at sort of redesigning our showroom here in Waternish to bring it more in line with the sort of very modern feeling space that we've created in Portree. And then developing, building on our or what we've achieved with the mimosa tanning and building and, and developing that and that as a product range is on the cards also. Jess, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. And that's all for this edition of the Skytime podcast. If you've a story or a business to promote, email simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. Please also get in touch if you'd like to sponsor Skytime or advertise your business on the next podcast. Until then, stay safe. Aichiwa. Aichiwa.